Exodus chapter 13, verses 17 to 22. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Sukkoth and encamped at Atham, on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from them before the people. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, it's been said, hasn't it, that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. You've heard that one, right? And you know the truth is, is it's not just about dogs. It's about pretty much all living creatures. The older we get, the more set in our ways we get, and the more self-determining we are, the more unwilling we are to embrace change. And that's what this Wandering in the Wilderness series is really about. It's about change. We're looking at our times through the biblical lens and recognizing that we have a wilderness experience in hand right now, that we're living it. We've left something behind that was a burden, and yet we are not all that certain about where we're going from here, and we need to put our faith in God like never before. But it will require change. It will require discipline on our part. The first thing that has to change for the Israelites in this case is that they have to unlearn all of the things that they once considered normal. Doesn't that sound like a familiar term right there? We're always talking about the new normal because we've accepted the fact that nothing feels normal anymore. And yet, there are certain parts of our lives that felt like normal, and we were so comfortable with that normal that we didn't know how much we needed to change. We couldn't see it because everybody else around us was doing it. It seemed perfectly normal to be the way we were. And then along comes a pandemic and a government decision that trickled across the world and down to our local counties even to somehow find a way to keep this pandemic in check. And we've ended up being cloistered for several weeks, months really. And now we're gradually finding our way back together and it's frightening because we're not altogether sure that there's wisdom in doing this. 
and it's troubling. And we want to go back to normal. But the reality is, is that we, we left normal behind. Have you ever tried to go back to a place that you left behind? You know, like, I've heard stories of pastors who served a church once many, many years ago and somehow got reappointed to that church again. And it just never was the same. Um, you always loved living in a certain town. Laura and I are from southern Indiana. We are southern Indiana people by birth and, and uh, our home is Floyd County basically, Clark County. And, but for 20 years we've lived all over Indiana doing ministry and, and you know what, in 20 years none of the places that we used to consider familiar are familiar anymore, are they? They're just not because because time goes on and change happens and, and, and things that were always there that always gave us comfort are gone. Or they're different. Or they're under new ownership or, or whatever. In my experience as a pastor, I've noticed a lot of people in churches can become very agitated when it feels like the comfort and familiarity of their church is being taken away. And they get very anxious because this change is not welcome because they just like a few things in their lives to seem predictable and familiar. Can you resonate with this? And yet there are times when change is inevitable and sometimes it's even necessary. How many of you could relate to this scenario? You go to your doctor for your annual checkup and your doctor says some things about your blood tests and other uh, observations and, and informs you that if you don't make some radical lifestyle changes right away, you're in grave danger of shortening your lifespan and being a burden to your loved ones and yourself and possibly, you know, other more significant consequences. And so you're faced with the dilemma because you are either going to fulfill the doctor's prophecy or you're going to make some radical changes in your life. Can you relate to that? Have you had to make radical changes in your life because they were forced upon you? Maybe you lost your job as a result of all this COVID-19 nonsense, right? Perhaps you're trying to figure out how to be a different version of yourself and still keep some of the things that you cherish most. These are times like those the Israelites experienced. They left Egypt and God took them to Sukkot. You know what that means? That word means a place of protection or a place of comfort, a place of shelter. Sukkot is a Jewish holiday in the fall where people build booths the festival of booths, but the idea is they make little shelters and, and then they, they pray in them and it's a, it's a time of, of extra devoted prayer. And, but in typical human fashion, sometimes people's booths become very elaborate, sort of like Christmas here in America. 
you know, we want to celebrate Christ's birth, but we want to make our house more spectacular in celebrating Christ's birth than the guy across the street because there's been a running competition all these years, right? And so we're celebrating Christ's birth, but we're sort of really proud of our booth and its decorations. So if you go over to Israel around this season of Sukkot, you'll see people's booths are pretty elaborate so they can go inside them and pray and devote themselves to God. Even on the outside, they're saying, my booth's better than yours. Isn't that funny? We are constantly fighting our flesh. We're constantly fighting our flesh. And there are so many opportunities to indulge it. So the people left this place of comfort, Sukkot, after leaving a place of extreme discomfort, which was Egypt, and then entered into another form of discomfort. Because now God is going before them in this pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. We're Midwesterners. Don't you picture a tornado when you think of this thing? I do. I'm thinking EF5 pillar of cloud, EF5 pillar of fire, because it's God. There's probably no measurement for God's pillar. But if you're like me, I think most Midwesterners have this problem. We have this strange fascination with a tornado. We're kind of fascinated and terrified by it all at the same time. And, and this, I think, is how it must have been to have that pillar in front of the people. And the word was, is that wherever it goes, you go. When it moves, you move. So you can't put down roots anywhere. You can't, you can't stay put. And then God says, I'm going to take them by way of the Red Sea because I don't think they have the stomach for war, especially not with the Philistines. Which is really remarkable considering the fact that it, the scripture also told us that God equipped them for war. So he's equipped them for war, but he's not willing that they should go to war with anybody, especially not the Philistines, because they're like the most vicious fighters in the region, and they worship Satan. Well, they worship Baal, who is essentially Satan, okay? And these are, these are tough people that, that God says, if they go there, they'll lose heart. And they'll go back to Egypt. But what's really interesting is that he's equipped them for war. So here's what I think. I think that what we can draw from this image is, is that what God is saying is, is that you have to be prepared to defend and protect what you now have, which is liberty from Egypt. And remember that Egypt is both a literal place and a metaphorical place because Egypt represents the world of the flesh that Egypt represents their humanity's supreme role in all of creation. And the idea that we're all gods in, to, in and of ourselves and that we're, we're all here to get the most out of our years of fleshly existence as we can. And the more stuff you have when you die, the more likely you are to win over your neighbors. This, this whole mindset. Egypt is a metaphor for the worldly systems of government and the worldly systems of, of values and, 
and Egypt is the superpower. And what do superpowers like Egypt and America do? They try to impose their way of life on others because it's better for them, we assume. For example, so God is saying, you guys need to be prepared to fight the urge to go back to Egypt. And then God says, and you definitely don't want to go up against Satan and his army because you'll be back in Egypt for sure. And then the Bible tells us, of course, they end up up against the Red Sea and Pharaoh's armies bearing down on them and God parts the Red Sea. It's a famous scene in the movies, right? And the people get through on dry land and then the waters crush and destroy Pharaoh's army. So now the people, as you heard last week, are confronted with this reality that God has thoroughly defeated their enemies. So why doesn't God let them go back to Egypt? Why doesn't he open the ocean up again and let them go back to Egypt and take charge? Because God doesn't ever want them to be the same again. Because God does not want them to go back to Egypt to take over the role of oppressor because that's evil. That's like fighting the Philistines or joining the Philistines. Or they will just go back to being comfortable. So God prepared them for war because God wants this, this band of people to understand that, that they, can, they can be independent. They don't need Egypt anymore. And this comes back up later in Scripture, and you will read in other places in Scripture, that whenever the people get a little uncomfortable, a little afraid, they, they turn to Egypt, right? For example... Let's say there's a natural disaster and you and your family haven't really prepared for anything to go wrong in your life. And so you try to tell yourself the government will take care of me, right? The government will be here to rescue us. Surely they will. And then you find out the government's pretty overwhelmed that it might be a while. Look at Hurricane Katrina. Look at the wildfires in California. Now, this is what God means in some of the later messages in the Old Testament about Egypt. He's, he's saying, don't rely on Egypt to bail you out of your troubles. And remember that when you go back to Egypt for help, you risk going back to Egypt forever. And you can't do that. You've got to be my people. Once, always, and forever. And that's the gist of the whole promised land. That's the whole idea of the promised land is that it would be a place where you live entirely devoted to God. So how is this time we're living in like the times they were living through? Well, both require faith and courage in order to leave behind what you used to think was normal and you'll never be able to go back to. Because you'll never be able to, like if we could start right now, like pretending that there's never been a pandemic, that it's all just a big joke and everybody, ha ha, fooled you, April fools. And, and, and so we resume our lives the way they were in early March. You know, there's too much water's gone under the bridge. Too many things have changed, and, and, and even if we went back to the regular worship schedule and we went back to our work schedules that were familiar to us and we went back to the way we used to shop and the way we used to commute and the way we used to do all the various things in our lives, it, it wouldn't be the same, would it? You know that. It just, it isn't. 
Um, it's kind of like when an adult child comes back to live in your house for a while. They're not a little kid anymore. I happen to have one in my house right now, and that's not what this story is about. But I'm just saying, you, you find out as you get older that you don't look at your parents the same way you used to look at them, right? That changes over time, doesn't it? And the parents don't look at their kids the same way anymore. You know, and, and the idea is, is that, that, that change is constant, and it's something that we should embrace and welcome instead of resisting. But it makes us uncomfortable. So the last thing I really want to say to you is, is that if you are following my line of reasoning here, you've probably gathered that the enemy of the now liberated Israelites and the enemy of the liberated people of Shiloh and Jasper and, and so forth, because we've been liberated, you know that, right? Something about all of this has been left behind and we don't want to pick it up and resume it anymore. There are things that we've been liberated from because of these crazy circumstances we're living through. There are things that we've uh, been able to let go of and we're not really that eager to get them back because we didn't miss them as much as we thought we would. We've left some things behind, you know, like, like if you uh, look at the old Western movies about the Oregon Trail, you know, the trail is littered with things that people thought were really important, but when the going got rough, they started casting off things that they couldn't afford to take with them anymore because it was costing them too much to bear those burdens along the way. We're in a time like that too. It's amazing how much we crave comfort. And it turns out the comfort is the enemy. Egypt represents comfort. See, even if they went back to be slaves again, they would, they would have been slaves nonetheless. But they would have been slaves to their comfort. See, there was something weird and comforting about being slaves in Egypt, if you think about it. Every morning, they got up at the same time, went to work, got, had the same thing for breakfast every day, went to work same time every day, got a break every day at the same time, went to lunch the same time every day. They were slaves. They were oppressed. They had no real freedom. But they had a predictable amount of comfort. And when they got out into the wilderness following the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud, all of a sudden they have to reconcile with the fact that this is far more uncomfortable than slavery. That's scary to think that we'd rather go back to being slaves because it's comfortable. All the discomfort we've experienced over the last four months should be teaching us some things, wouldn't you agree? Maybe we've learned a few things about what matters most to us, and we've learned to live with discomfort. Every four or five weeks, it seems, we've had to make adjustments. I can only speak in my church context, but I just told you in the announcements that in two weeks we're going to make major changes again, and then there's always a possibility that the pandemic will really spike because of certain... Uh, attempts to reopen the economy that have been 
reckless, and I'm, I don't mean that the way it sounds. What I'm trying to say is, is that we might find out that as a result of people gathering and not wearing masks and not taking the same precautions, we suddenly see a big increase. I don't know, but I can tell you that in the office, we're all thinking, well, this is what we're going to do unless things change, in which case we'll try a new plan. Unless the pillar of fire or cloud decides to go hard left when we thought it was going straight. We'll just follow the cloud. We'll just follow the cloud in faith. And what we're going to realize, I think, eventually is, is that some people are going to die along the way. They're not going to come back because they don't want unpredictability, because they don't want discomfort, because they're too fearful of change. We're going to find that, that the people that, that have not embraced the adventure of following this pillar of fire and cloud, God's going to say, then they can't go into the promise. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm not trying to describe anything in particular. I'm just getting the, the metaphor to work in our context and as I sort this out with my mind and my mouth, I, I, I feel that like the people who left Egypt, some of us have left behind more than we're willing to give up. And there will be more discomfort than we're willing to bear. And God will say, fine, then you'll probably die in the wilderness and we'll send your children or we'll send a, group of, a different group of people. See, one thing that's really cool for me is like, I've been the pastor of many churches, well, several churches over the last 25 years, and, and this is the only one that is such a baby. It's so young, you know? We're only like 40 years old here, and, and, and I've been pastor of churches that are 150, 175 years old. I've stood at pulpits where, where Dozens of preachers have worn the finish off of the pulpit, you know, so that when I put my hands there, I'm joining hands, so to speak, with pastors who are long dead. And I realize when I'm looking out over those churches how this congregation is not the same congregation that filled the building a few years ago. You know, that, that this building has outlasted its people. And this is what happens in the wilderness they never get to the promised land. So what our times are telling us is, is that sometimes we're not here for our own sake as much as we are here for a legacy that's way beyond us. That we're here to participate for a moment in time with God and whatever God is doing. And before long, we'll all be gone and there will be a whole different group of people here. And if we do nothing else during this time that the future generations are going to look back on as the great epidemic of 2020 or whatever, I don't know what they'll call it in their history books or whatever, the, whatever the Discovery Channel decides to call the documentary, you know, they're going to look back on this time and what they have here will be what we left them. And what are we going to leave them? What kind of legacy are we going to leave them? Are we going to leave them a picture of comfortable people doing comfortable things? Or courageous, faith-led people who have taken this opportunity to be 
more fully devoted followers of King Jesus Christ? Are we going to live with discomfort and even embrace it? Are we going to accept that some people aren't going to make it because it's costing them too much? I don't know the answers to those questions. I only know that today when the pillar of fire or cloud moves, I'll follow it. And I hope you'll go with me. And today if he says, time to face the Philistines, then I will. And if today he says, I'd like you to go to Sukkoth and take some comfort, I will. And I hope you'll go with me. Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for your word. Now burn it in our hearts. Whatever doesn't come from you, whatever is not of your spirit, please erase it from people's memories. Because it's not important. I'm not important. Only you, King Jesus, we pray, amen.